listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by a special guest who I just, I absolutely love this guest. His name is Nick Love, and he is the acquisitions director over at Hazel Equity. He is a 23-year-old marketing superstar. I got to meet Nick for the first time virtually last week. And after a 30-minute conversation, when we hung up, I just I just like kind of whispered to myself in breath, wow, that was a really cool dude. So like super excited to have him on the show, super excited for the ton of value that he was able to share with me and now is going to be able to share with us for being so young. He's had so much impact in the industry doing deals. I told him, man, if I was where you were at, you know, when I was your age, I'd be a billionaire by now. So Nick, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Wow. What an intro, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on here. For those of y'all who are not uh, watching the video, Nick is turning purple right now because he's he's uh, being oh, bashful on us. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, can you tell us your background? Tell us the story of kind of how you got where you're at today and what got you interested in real estate in the first place? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess a brief overview on their back. Whenever I was younger, my parents, they invest inside of real estate. They were flipping land from tax sales. So that's kind of where I got introduced to the idea of real estate investing as an investment vehicle over traditional types of investments. And my mom's a CPA. My dad was in the military. So I kind of grew up inside of a very detail-oriented and idea of, of the future in mind. And so once I got to school and I was going for finance on there and started taking real estate classes and decided to go with a real estate double major inside of my degree, that I started branching out inside of DFW where I've been fortunate to be in order to network with a lot of different people and go to different meetups and kind of learn about different types of investment vehicles inside of real estate. So a lot of people were pushing the residential route on there that you should buy one home every year for five years and then you know, you'll have you'll be better off for retirement. But that just seemed a little too slow for me, especially whenever I was younger. You know, it's all about impatience. You're all about trying to find the best vehicle for what you're trying to go for, having a long-term mindset, that kind of thing. And I didn't really like going that passive route where you just, you know, look for one deal and then you wait till next year, et cetera. So I was beneficial enough to go to a lot of these different meetups and really found multifamily to be a large passion of mine, not only on the finance side, but also the scaling you know, the kind of competition that's there and the barrier to entry. And there's just so much great information out there. So back whenever I was about 19 or 20, I started really digging deep inside of the knowledge and in different meetups and connections and people and and my personal brand and stuff like that, where I was just starting to underwrite deals and look at deals and, and being able to leverage my finance background. And then while I was in school as well, another passion of mine was marketing. So since I didn't have a lot of knowledge inside of multifamily, I started really leveraging my marketing background that I've been using for a while and just working with larger operators, exchanging information and services between people so I could just get a lot more knowledge inside of the multifamily space in order to do deals in the future. So I just started grinding my way through it and doing marketing for larger operators, which ended up turning into a business in the future. And so I started pretty much, you know, trying to do deals and, and looking for the best kind of multifamily syndications in the, in the Texas MSAs that I could tackle. And then also offering marketing services for other larger operators. And that's just ended up working out well. And, you know, now I'm really trying to scale up the uh, investment side and kind of focus a little bit less on the marketing side and just try to scale up as many multifamily properties as I can. 
Awesome. Absolutely. So the part that I love about your story is that, you know, you, you were working to learn, you focused on what area you wanted to learn more about. And you're like, well, what value can I bring to them? Well, I'm good at marketing. I'll go do marketing for these large operators to learn from them, which I'm sure accelerated your path, you know, way faster than anybody just kind of walking off the street, going to YouTube university, trying to figure (laughs) out how to go, you know, do multifamily deals. So tell us a little bit about now you've sold the marketing company. Is that well, yeah, I passed it off to a partner of mine who's doing it full time on there just because I didn't really want to put too much focus inside of it where I wanted to go on the sure. investment side. But I that I still talk with people on marketing if there's ever people that come out and ask questions or I've done some consulting and stuff in the past, but it's not something that I market out from myself because I really want to be inside of the buy side, you know, on the investment instead of just marketing and not be known as just a marketing guy but being able to leverage that experience and knowledge towards, you know, this industry in general. But I do work on my personal brand, our company brand and stuff like that, being able to leverage that. But I'm not specifically trying to go out to look for uh, marketing work, but I have great referrals for people that if they ever need marketing work, I have some great partners and people that I can refer to for them. That's awesome how you're so hyper-focused on your personal brand and how it's reflected in the marketplace that you, you want to be careful to not appear to be a jack of all trades. You want to be known as, as concentrated, you know, in your certain space of acquisitions and leverage your, your finance education there. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it, it kind of goes hand in hand too, because I would honestly like to be known inside of the multifamily space as a younger guy who also has great experience inside of marketing as just like, you know, a sprinkle on top where you understand that side because it's obviously important. And that comes across kind of inside of my brand, the professionalism or modernism or however it wants to come across, which I think is important too. But Absolutely. So going to school for finance, how did you get so far into the marketing? Because you have a good bit yeah. of awesome advice. I mean, the, during our last meeting, I was sitting, I filled up two pages in a yellow <laughs> pad. I was like, oh, this is good stuff. You know, where, where yeah. did that come from? Well, that's a good question, actually, because back inside of college, I was just obsessed with absorbing information and knowledge and and looking at trends and and understanding that social media was just so important in business anyway. That's kind of what sparked the interest where so many different larger companies, they leverage social media, they leverage their brand and marketing channels and things. and, And with the ability to be able to use that free information or that free marketing, essentially, you know, that should be something that people should understand not only on the back end, but how you can leverage it too. So it really started out as something that I wanted to understand in order to leverage myself in order to grow out as a larger brand, you know, to put out an influence. And you always look at, at larger influencers as people that can really change things or, or put out things. And if you have a following, I mean, it's essentially easier for you to not only become bigger inside of your industry, but also sell a product or service or do whatever it may be. And so I think that building that kind of brand with our resources nowadays, I mean, that's just should be one of those focuses because right now, you know, the loudest people are getting the most attention. And so in order to do that, you can't just be loud talking to people every day. You know, I think that social media and marketing and the internet is just the way that you have to really be able to stand out with, with your brand. And then on the other note too, if you're starting a company or doing a business, one of the first places that a prospect or a lead or an investor is going to look at is going to be online, whether that's a good way or a bad way. So that kind of forced me to obsess with the idea of how you can leverage that to your best ability. 
and then also trying to understand looking ahead and, and being different. Like that's really what I'm about a lot is that what can I do right now that people are going to start doing next year and start leveraging those kinds of ideas, I guess. Awesome. So let's dive into your, your experience on the investing side of being a real estate investor. So from our little previous conversation, and if I get this wrong, please correct me, you have one syndication that you did on your own, the 56 unit, I believe. Yeah, yes. And then you have a couple of deals you did with, with Hazel. With Hazel. Right, right. Can you walk us through those deals and maybe the timeline there, what you did first, how you partnered up, why you partnered up, what that looks like? Yeah, I think definitely in the beginning, right. As a younger guy, there's different hurdles that you have to go to as well. You know, whether that's on experience, knowledge or partnership. And so since I didn't have that experience or as much knowledge as I needed to, partnership seemed like the best route to go down. And so since it was such a great deal, and this was in, uh, I think, October of 18, 2018. And when you were um, 21, you were 21. Yeah, at that time, I think. Maybe it was, yeah, so I was 21. And I was looking at that deal inside of Oklahoma City, and it was a smaller deal, but I think that there was also a little bit less competition with that kind of deal size too whenever I was going to different meetups and talking to people and underwriting deals and talking with brokers that a lot of these deals were swept up with larger operators or even larger syndication groups that were working with some of those teachers as well. So that deal ended up being a very great cash flowing deal at that time. And so it was something that I was interested in and wanted to look into and partner with and, and help raise capital on. So it was a honestly a typical deal size. There wasn't really too many problems to go through, but it was a little bit ago and it's, it's been doing good ever since. I mean, it, it's a 56 unit and it also has one small commercial property on it that also, you know, adds into the income. So that's worked out well. So you did that one first before you teamed up with the folks at yes. Hazel. Yeah. And then our recent deal, I think we did another one inside of October and two years ago, that was another one that was in Houston, a Houston deal on the Northeast side. And that was 136 unit that's doing very well. We just went down there, I think about a month ago, we just had to hire a new property manager on there. But other than that, things have been going pretty decently for that one as well. Just a little bit bigger, but. You bought the property, got one property management company, and then determined that wasn't working out and had to replace it with a new one. Yes. Oh, wow. So I'm very big, like back before I was trying to syndicate and do deals and stuff, even before that, I was working inside of leasing for multifamily too as a job whenever I was younger. And I've actually taken a lot of information from that experience and translated over into the apartment management side. So I'm very big inside of you know goal setting and really looking deep inside of financials and projections and things. So whenever you see a decreasing trend, I think it's you know pretty good to cut that off you know as soon as possible in order to cut your losses, just like how you would do a stop loss on a on a stock. And so that's kind of how I take a look at it. And so we ended up, you know, trying to put out a new property manager on there with that kind of idea in mind. So instead of trying to wait out things, it was just more of, you know, trying to get something more experienced. So I got a couple of questions, if you don't (laughs) mind me digging into this. The first question is, you hired the property management company that you let go, right? When you initially purchased the asset, correct? Right. How long did it take you to determine it wasn't a good fit? And what were the, the areas? It sounds like maybe leasing was an issue. Inside, 
Yeah, inside of leasing, and I think about eight eight months. Eight months. Okay, so eight yeah. months, you can get a general idea. You didn't yeah. do it two months in. I got you. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was it was a couple months in because obviously leasing is seasonal too. You know that takes a mind, and then looking at previous history from the property, taking that into account, and then the market management inside. So you know, with a couple of different factors and variables like that, I think you're able to determine a pretty pretty decent amount. And I just think it's a way that you can just work around that kind of thing. If something's not working out, then you got to got to change it. You can't just hope for the best too. So I think being diligent on top of something like that's important as well, not just for property management, but asset management too. So can we talk a little bit about how you make a living buying apartment buildings? Because we all like to market ourselves as fancy as we are. And, and, that, and there's various, <laughs> sca- there's various like scales of what goes on in the industry and on the podcast, you know, somebody might passively invest $25,000 into somebody's 450 unit and go on a podcast the next week and say, I've got 450 (laughs) units, you know? So, I mean, we see it all the time and there's nothing wrong with like leveraging the experience of your partners to a certain extent. I think that, that extreme example I just gave would probably, I would say borderline (laughs) misleading. But my question is like, economically, if you were to go tell somebody, I have a 56-unit apartment complex and I have a 126-unit apartment complex, and then there's a third apartment complex, they'd be like, oh, well, you must be rich because you own 250 (laughs) units or whatever. And those of us that own multifamily, just a few multifamily properties, realize in our day-to-day life, that's not exactly accurate. So Mm -hmm. like, how impactful are those properties to your life from a compensation and uh, just an ongoing financial perspective. Yeah, I think that's good to, to go into with that because you know it's sometimes people who aren't inside of the industry see it as a shiny object syndrome. You know, inside a multifamily mm-hmm. that you can make a good amount of money from it, which is true. But I definitely see a lot of these properties as the foundational aspect of of experience and professionalism sure. with all the other contacts and vendors, as opposed to a large financial brain, you know, with it. But with that being said too, I think that most of the money that we make back from that's just completely reinvested back in, in order to exponentiate, you know, the, the scale, you know, with that. So there's obviously asset management money that you can make from that and the cash flow and then the acquisition fees and disposition and, and all that kind of thing. So it ends up coming out to, you know, a, a median salary, I guess I would say, or the US on there, nothing crazy in the beginning. But if you're in it for the long run, then obviously, you know, this is just one of those kinds of plays that you go for a long-term investment, I guess. So it's more of an investment in time right now than it is in money. And then down the line, as you get more and more properties, more and more systems and and deals and things, that's where you really start making a lot of of wealth, you know, within yourself because we're doing three to five year holds, right? So that doesn't mean we're going to get all that money right now or within the first year. So that's just an importance to understand and that's why I do think, you know, the beginning, it's good to have a job on the other side too, as I did. And I think that that's, that's the best way to keep going with it. Just like how you wouldn't immediately start investing in stocks and bonds on its own without having a job as well, right. even if you made a decent amount of money from it. That's a perfect answer. And, and I just want to, I like to dive into the honesty on this show because so many shows are like, kind of like, Pepper, and I feel like it could get misleading. You know, I, I went and told it's my very wife. Misleading. 
I went and told my wife we were buying a 56-unit apartment complex and she, or 53-unit. And she goes, oh, great. What does that mean? I was like, well, <laughs> relatively nothing financially. <laughs> it means like it's like the very it's like the first step in a very long plan. Yeah. But it's like it's huge to me, like like for all the reasons you just described, right? For the the credibility with the lenders, with the vendors, with the brokers, with the investors. You know, it's yeah. it's huge for me. I, it's, I worked towards it for a year. Now, but financially, like, what's the direct benefit that I'm getting from it? It's, I mean, it's negligible. It's you know? minimal. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's like getting an internship before you get a really good job. You know, if you right. want to put in that time and importance, you know, within that, then it'll pay off in the end. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, absolutely. So, what is next for you? I think I really, really want to strive on the importance of trying to build a trustworthy brand with people. And it's starting to feel like I, I really want to create a company that we invest inside of deals with people that we know and like. And it's more of trying to build up this kind of company that's not just a syndication group or an operator. It's a trustable brand that people want to invest in or want to go in and, and try to grow something like that, you know, up to 100 million, 200 million, 300 million a year. And, and just really focus on exponential progress on there and trying to build up something larger and larger into a better group and, you know, try to do things differently, you know, try to modernize a situation, whether that's going into development and trying to really itch that creative side that I've always had, or just really keep scaling up and diversifying the kind of assets that we go into, not just multifamily, but maybe into portfolios and single family and and build for rent, or maybe even 3d homes or something like that. Trying to really seek around the corner to what's next because if you look at multifamily syndications and investing 10 years ago versus now, I mean, there's obviously a, a huge difference, not in just competition and saturation, but how deals are done, the types of returns well, and things. I mean, there's, yeah. there's different laws now than there was there's different laws. Ago. Exactly. So if you think about 10 years from now, you know, we shouldn't be in the same syndication model or maybe even the same investment space or same criteria. So I think that what's in it for the future would be definitely a larger diversification, maybe in different assets or markets, and then also trying to breach into the development space too, as we see that the class A and class B discount between them is just getting thinner and thinner. So obviously there, there may be something that comes within a few years, whether that's a crash for different types of things where we take up a good amount of deals or things start to shift more into development and maybe even a lower class C builds or something like that, but definitely trying to look at the market outlook and taking that into consideration. But if I could do what is your your market outlook? (laughs) Well, I'm a young guy. I mean, I don't know how, how good my experience or or opinion would be on the space, but with that, even through COVID in the last three months, things seem to seem to normalize as far as how many deals come out and what they're getting. But as far as evaluation, it's just, it's just kind of stupid. What, <laughs> what, uh, what deals are going for right now? The whole and, world's a bubble. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of ridiculous and there's no way that you can keep up that kind of trajectory. So either things are going to plateau out and go down slowly, or it's just going to be a really hard hit downwards because not even just cost of development, but on acquisition and even insurance, I was talking with uh, one of our insurance providers today on a deal that we're taking a look at, and even insurance costs have skyrocketed so much more, sure. you know, not even on renewals, but on, on new premiums and things. So you can't keep up that amount of growth, right, without something happening. 
And, you know, with the rent moratoriums and COVID and everything like that, it just seems like another one of those types of storms that is in an inevitable type of situation. But I really don't know what will happen. But I think it's better to be prepared than not. So how do you feel about a potential apocalyptic type crash for our market? <laughs> how does that make you feel as a multifamily real estate investor? Because people people ask me about it all the time and I, it doesn't. I said, well, we'll just hold until it bounces back. You know, that, that's kind of why we're doing what we're doing. You know, I don't have a house flipping business. I'm not going to get caught with a bunch of like, you know, non-cash flowing single families that I can't sell for as much as I owe on them. Well, yeah, as long as we don't have deals that end within the next, you know, year or two years, I don't think it's a negative outlook that I have on it. It's just like how whenever I look back inside the 2011, 2012 and see how much people were actually buying houses for that I wish I could have been there in order to buy a lot of homes at once or but something were, like that. But, but you were 12. So. I was also 12. <laughs> that is a problem. And, but, but people talk about it all the time, just like how you know somebody who's 23 and my age in 10 years will say the same thing, maybe about multifamily. So it's definitely beneficial for us to look back and see what has happened. Cause obviously if, if things repeat and you see those types of opportunities and that's where a lot of money is, is made. There's a lot of larger companies, even Airbnb, that's a, a large real estate company was founded during the financial crisis, you know? So there's a lot of opportunity within, within recessions and things like that. Sure. So I think looking for that kind of opportunity is where my mind will be for sure. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm stockpiling cash, waiting for the opportunity. Right. I can't wait for it to drop. Yeah. I almost feel like the market doing what it's doing now is like prohibiting my growth because it's just, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to overpay, you know? So what advice do you have for somebody that, that's like kind of just getting started or, or looking out? You, um, you're a kind of a different story. We don't hear stories like yours very often where like, I wanted to be a real estate investor before college. So I got a degree in finance and I double majored in real estate and I <laughs> interned with this awesome multifamily company and I serviced that industry to learn. Like that's just like a Cinderella story that we just never like hear. Um, the, <laughs> typical, the typical story we hear is like, I'm 28 and I hate my day job and I don't want to escape the rat race one day. So I'm going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? So what advice do you have for, for your unique experience would be good for, for offering guidance to, to young kids? Every chance I get, if I'm talking to a high school kid, I try and get them to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and explain to them the benefits <laughs> of you know, cash flow and, and, and how there's like an alternative path from what traditionally we've been exposed to. So I have a couple of different ideas with that too, because I also have a younger sister who's about that age also. And sometimes you, you can't force people to drink, you know, with a lot of those things, especially with, with books and reading like that. And I think it's because we put inside of a a negative connotation with doing that kind of research or or something like, for example, my, my little sister who doesn't like finance or, or talking about money that much it's almost a negative connotation to push her to read a book or to do this kind of information. So I think trying to rewire that kind of mindset, you know, towards kids is what I'll be doing as well is trying to teach them, you know, to love to learn that kind of topic and that kind of information instead of forcing it upon them. And I think that may end up, you know, helping out a lot. And then one thing, 
the reason that I really went to college and got my degree besides the professionalism and things was that my dad was in the military. So it was beneficial enough to go to college for a lot cheaper than normal. And so I was able to do that and meet professional connections and things. But I also think that people that are at that age, they should have that choice, whether they want to work and, and go sure. off and do something or start their own thing or go to college. And I think that college is a great route if you don't know what you want to do at all, because you can still work during college. It's difficult, but you can do it. But I think that they do need better classes, whether that's inside of real estate or finance inside of college, because they are taught by a lot of people in their 60s and 70s, at least my college was, that didn't have a lot of experience in the industry that you would have wanted. I think that would change things. And then on the other end, as somebody who would want to get into the multifamily space that I did, I think that if I went back, I would really sub-focus and, and hyper-focus in like one market, one asset type, and one type of deal and just understand that um, the evaluation of the market down to a T because then it's just a numbers game to keep looping around and understanding and being very diligent on broker relationships and investor relationships and those kinds of things. Because definitely in the beginning, whenever you're starting out, your confidence is extremely low, especially if you're young and starting out, your confidence is even lower whenever you're trying to breach into a business, that barrier. So definitely working on your knowledge confidence, you know, with that, that's where you start building that up is, Oh, I know what they're talking about, you know, so I can talk with them. And then you just, you know, really try to branch out and read and, and understand as much as you can, but then you really have to put yourself out there, be willing to ask questions and be in the wrong because that's when you'll start learning a lot of stuff. And that's what took me a little bit longer was to build up that confidence inside of, of doing yeah. deals and, and talking with more people. So I definitely think that that's, one thing that you can work on today, even if you're somebody that wanted to invest in deals, you can do that today. You can do that yesterday as something important, but it really comes down to being able to underwrite deals and talk with people. You know, you can't just read about things, right? And like we were talking about earlier with quotes, you know, you can't just read about doing a push up. You have to do one. And I take that to heart a lot too. So I can read about working out all day, but nothing's ever going to change physically for me. So I think I like that's the kind of thing too. I like Brandon Turner, the host of Bigger Pockets. He he quoted somebody else who said it. That's that's where I heard <laughs> it from. He said, "If if uh, knowledge was the answer, we'd all be billionaires with six pack abs." That's right. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's exactly true too. So, so tell me about raising money as a twenty one year old. So, I'm sure you had your shared yeah. challenges and insecurities yeah. on that topic. <laughs> I was just very diligent and. I was very interested inside of marketing and professionalism too, which I think helped also that I can pick up on things and pick up on softwares and find new things and, and email out more consistently because I, I build out systems and stuff. And that was able to really benefit me on there and just being very consistent inside of a numbers game and talking with people and reaching out to people because there's two different ways that you can either get investors or get deals. You know, it's outreach and inreach, you know, whether that's, people come to you or you reach directly out to people. So being able to leverage both of those things and trying to create a system within yourself, whether that's, hey, I'm going to talk to an investor once a month and then once every six months if we get a deal, or I'm going to talk with 20 new people every day, you know, you're just going to get a conversion at some point. And then you can just understand your own numbers. And let's say if I talk with 20 people every day and I get five investors a week, then, you know, it's only going to take me a month to get 20 investors that may end up being able to get a whole deal. So really the entire industry, 
as far as investment side too, I think is just a big numbers game and I'm a numbers guy. So that's just how I ended up looking at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So real quick, I just want to hop over to our radio round, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First question is what's your favorite book? My favorite book, I would say um, is deep work. Um, I think that's a great book on, on hyper focusing and, and trying to really understand how you can work within yourself too and be very productive and efficient with your own kind of work. I think that one's a great one to, to really go deep into. Who, who writes that? Who wrote that? I think it's Cal Newport. Yeah. Cool. Is that something you should definitely read or would it be beneficial to listen to it on Audible? I think it depends how you absorb info. Because if you're a bigger reader and note taker, then a physical book is great too. It also kind of keeps you, keeps you disciplined to see a physical book. I think instead of just the audio book and, but also I absorb great information whenever I'm driving too. But I think that reading that book would probably be more beneficial if you're going to choose either one. I do either or. Um, I just you use do. some, some books you can work fine on audible and some of them you're like, no, you really need to sit down. And also because I'm just such, I'm so obsessed with numbers and, and with information absorbing too. A couple of years ago, I got really obsessed with speed reading. You can only leverage a couple of things to read more books. You either read more or you read faster, right? So I started to really dive deep inside of reading faster and speed reading in order to increase, you know, the amount that you can actually absorb and it actually benefited a weird way where you actually absorb more information because you feel like you focus more on the pages because you're trying to read so fast. It's like you would be more focused driving 120 miles an hour than you would be driving sure, 20 sure. miles an hour. So yeah. um, another good book, a speed reading book. I thought I had it here. Oh, yeah. It's Proven Speed Reading Techniques. That would be okay. a good one, too, that I just Absolutely. read. Absolutely, I'll check it out. What's your favorite quote? One of my favorite quotes definitely is that I think that good players work out and great players outwork. I think that that's a really good one that I live by a lot on there. One quote from Gary Vee that he says is that your number one skill should always be networking. I really feel that. And then time can't be cheated. I think those are probably good ones I have. And for those that are listening, Nick is an excellent networker, just how we (laughs) met. Did I send you a Facebook request or you said? No, I, I think I reached out to you. One of it, we somehow connected on Facebook. Immediately, I got a Facebook message. Hey, you know, it was personal. <laughs> like he wasn't blast. I knew it wasn't a, it, it wasn't like a blast text. It was, it, he had, he said something that made me know he was talking directly to me. <laughs> and we chatted for a minute. He goes, well, let's schedule a call to get to know one another. And then, and so we just 15 minutes just to, to network. And now we're on another call and podcast, you know, he's done a phenomenal job with very short period of time and established a strong relationship where I, I feel very confident that we'll absolutely stay in touch. And I can only imagine he has that same type of interaction with, with many other folks. So kudos to you and, and how you approach Thanks. network building. And, and you can tell that you're very genuine and giving in your interactions, which is your personality kind of reminds me of like, like um, Joe Fairless's where it's a very humble, <laughs> like knowledge share of adding value to people. So I appreciate that. With, great job with that. Our last question is what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Definitely working out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm big into, I'm big into fitness. Yeah. And boxing. Oh, boxing. 
What other kind of mm-hmm. fitness are you in? I've never been big into boxing because I don't like getting punched in the face. I used to, <laughs> I wrestled in high school and then I used to do triathlons and run marathons. Oh, wow. I lifted weights That's forever, difficult. but now I have shoulder issues. So I, I'm not very um, good at that anymore. That's just yeah. part of being 35. You don't have those troubles Maybe. at 23. <laughs> I do have shoulder issues, but uh, I played I played tennis for, for 16 years. And so my... My shoulders are are kind of out too, but I'm I'm big into powerlifting and boxing pretty much. Very big into weightlifting. I work out early in the morning as, you know, just another kind of, sure. of discipline thing too. So that works out really well. That's my daily routine before 30 a.m. workouts for <laughs> for years now. Well, do me a favor. Tell us how our listeners can get in touch with you, find out more about you, find out more about Hazel Equities. Find out more about your marketing skills and have an opportunity to get to know you like I have. Yeah, I am on all social media. I'm just Nick Love on there. And I think Nick Love Multifamily on Instagram, but you can also email me. It's real simple. It's just Nick, N-I-C-K at Hazel Equity, which is H-A-Z-E-L-E-Q-U-I-T-Y.com. But then um, if you need anything else, yeah, I'm always here for referrals and connections. I think that one of the most powerful things you can do is be resourceful with stuff. So I have a lot of different great contacts, not just in marketing, but in a lot of other areas, maybe even residential too. So yeah, feel free to email me. I'm always available to answer questions. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much for joining the show together. I really enjoyed it. I know our listeners are going to enjoy it. I know you're going to be an inspiration to our younger listeners. And we, uh, we definitely look forward to, to keeping up with you and your, your journey to, I'm sure what'll be a billion dollar real estate empire. <laughs> Thank you, Sterling. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Cressworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.